to the Learning and Development Podcast. I'm David James from Loop, and each episode I chat with guests about what lights them up in the world of people development. In this episode, I'm speaking with Dr. Hannah Gore about learning cultures and much more. But before we get into it, if you're enjoying this podcast, please do give us a five-star rating on your podcast app of choice to help others to find us. And thank you if you've done so already. Now let's get into it. Dr. Hannah Gore, welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. Hi, it's great to be here. Um, Now, learning cultures are an area of specialism for you. And so I thought we'd kick off by gaining a shared understanding, uh, not just for for you and I, but but for the listener too, uh, what is actually meant by a learning culture? Mm, uh, To be honest with you, this is quite a difficult one for a lot of people because it means different things for different people. Normally before, and for a lot of people, uh, learning culture is we, we have a learning department and we have learning content, therefore we have a learning culture. Mm. To me, that is not a learning culture. You have a provision mm. and, and every company should have a provision. A learning culture to me is the point where people can access learning at any time, that they don't have to ask to access learning at any time, that they're actually actively encouraged to access learning at any time and they don't have to constantly feel like they're making a note of it or accountability Mm. that it is literally the lifeblood of the company and that it actually traces through to the bottom line of whatever it is that that company measures Mm. so it has a real cause and effect when you get to that point when every single person in the company knows the L&D provision where to find it how to access it when they need it as they need it and they're doing that naturally and it has an impact on the bottom line, then you have a learning culture. Mm. We, um, we've, we have a, a client who once describes that um, they've, they've pivoted so that their learning and development function uh, is less event-based, whether that be an event, of course, face-to-face, it can mean, or an event where you actually log off and you begin to be learning. They said, it's more like electricity, mm-hmm. as in it's everywhere. You can't always see it, but it can be experienced as and when uh, and guiding and supporting people when they don't even know, but they mm-hmm. actually need it. I think that that's quite a, yeah. uh, a good way of looking at it. Yeah, very much so. It is a lifeblood. And mm. and I give a lot of presentations on learning culture in the last 12 months, especially I've been asked to give a lot more. And I ask them, do you have a learning culture in my company? It's a number one poll that I put into all our webinars. And the amount of L&D people that reply back, yes, I am the learning culture. Yes, they have mm. me you are not a culture by yourself. One person is an island and we're talking about a community. So it's every single person inside the company has Mm. an L&D provision within them. That's when you have the culture. So absolutely like Mm. electricity. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a really nice distinction there because when you, when you talk about a provision and, of course, mm. the people within the, uh, the function could be part of that provision, the learning culture isn't the promotion of the provision. It is the the promotion of uh, of what you've said the experience mm. and uh, and what it's there to do and uh, and interestingly i've uh, i've got a definition from the uh, from the the corporate executive board not that i couldn't trust that we could come up with one ourselves <laughs> but i thought i'd um, you know for, for conversation Citation. purposes yeah <laughs> um, academic yeah that's right so they define it as a culture that supports an open mindset an independent quest for knowledge and shared learning directed towards the mission and goals of the organization mm. which all sounds good but 
research that, uh, that, that I found from a, a Harvard Business Review found that only 10% of organizations have managed to create them and just 20% of employees demonstrate, uh, demonstrated uh, effective learning behaviors at work. Now, mm. there will be different reasons for this. So, so you know, I'm not looking for, uh, um, for, for broad generalizations um, uh, uh, around these. The, num- the numbers themselves uh, are going to be um, uh, there are going to be many variables that uh, that mean that they are what they are. For many organisations and the leaders within them, they may not act, be so accepting of the rhetoric around learning cultures. Perhaps their the experience of L&D is one of, and I don't think this is uncommon, a peripheral function that runs some courses but has can demonstrate very little impact. So mm-hmm. bearing that in mind, does the term learning cultures have an identity problem outside of L&D? Or does it have an identity? I think it has an identity (laughs) problem with inside Mm. L&D. Absolutely. And I think it stems from the fact that L&D has an identity problem. Mm. So the problem is with L&D, and believe me when I say I love L&D to the nth degree, Mm. I'm like a stick of rock, you cut me in half, it's all the way through me. Um, But people, when they talk about L&D and they're non-L&D people, they talk about compliancy training mm-hmm. and that is that is a very separate entity to me to L&D that's like a HR driven thing mm. compliancy always have to do compliance training but that's not L&D in the respect of how I see L&D as a craft and a science mm. because you have to do it so we put that to one side but they do see it as that they they have the um flashbacks of time in the classroom at school that they we then replicate into the workplace school didn't work as a concept anyway learning Mm. by rote doesn't work as a concept but we replicate it into the workplace because it's what we know and and so they have these ideas inside their head about oh god I'm gonna have to go down a corridor take a day off work not look at my emails I'm gonna have to then shuffle all my meetings into another week and I've got to sit down someone's going to talk to me all day mm. long and show me some powerpoints with probably some questionably cited uh, images within it in the old days it would have been from very highly dodgy clip art and I'm meant to learn like a sponge and then take it into the workforce mm. and that is what they think it is so when we talk about learning culture they're thinking so you want to increase that you want us to have more of that and the answer is no I think that that is a terrible way to learn mm. it's talking more about accessible learning but also as well culturally it has an identity problem because they don't see the worth or the value in it Mm. so whilst bosses know yes we have to train staff and yes and again they're thinking about compliancy training or maybe some efficiencies but they're not thinking about everything we do from start of the day to the end of the day is based on the fact that we've been trained in something at some point Mm. Um, they don't understand the direct impact. And the reason why is because L&D doesn't measure direct impact. It measures happy sheets mm-hmm. and it measures um, people completing courses. And I, I believe that there's so much more than people completing courses and happy sheets. Those to me are vanity metrics. Mm-hmm. We should be measuring how it impacts the bottom line then we have less of an identity crisis and we're seeing much more as a need to have than a nice to have. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you've, you've as far as I'm concerned, you've, uh, you've hit the nail on the head. Because um, it seems to me that um, you describe, what you describe as a learning culture lends itself more to an organisational and individual improvement culture rather than a learning culture, which in mm-hmm. itself is nebulous. And it's actually impossible to measure. You can't measure learning. You can measure short-term mm-hmm. mem- memory recall. Mm. That's it. 
you know, mm-hmm. I, you know, and then we can, you know, we, we can measure whether, whether that recall is later. But of course, learning, and I always compare it to uh, learning to play the guitar and learning Chinese. Mm. You know when you've learned them. No, there isn't a test you can pass yeah. without picking up a guitar or speaking to somebody in Mandarin mm. that isn't doing it. And, and so the, lear- the learning enables the doing. And mm-hmm. I think so much of learning and development, it doesn't actually enable the doing because the solution is so far from the challenge, mm-hmm. both in terms of context and timing, that it couldn't possibly. And that's why you know, I, I talk about the fragility of learning and development solutions. Mm. What This is going to happen if the line manager is not involved or this isn't going to happen if you don't do this. This doesn't happen if you don't do that. You know, you're thinking you've literally just absolved yourself of all the responsibility. And the reason is, mm-hmm. is your solution is too fragile and it won't actually work. So mm-hmm. you've just stepped back with your hands clear and just said, it's not my fault if this, uh, if this doesn't actually work. So, so yeah, going back to that, um, the improvement element seems more tangible. Would you say that that's more, more yeah, relatable? Absolutely. You have to be measuring using measurements and values that the business managers of your company understand. Yeah. Your CEO will not lose sleep over how many people have completed courses. Mm. Your CEO will lose sleep as to what market share they're taking or not taking, what bottom line they're making or not making, what efficiencies they're making or not making. That's what he's losing sleep over. Mm. He doesn't sit there and go, oh my God, I wonder if Hannah got happy sheets today. But that is not his concern. And and we are so centered as an industry in measuring what we think is important Mm. versus what companies we work in think is important. And, and we cannot make ourselves highly redundant as the pandemic shows. Mm. Pandemic has been a good time and a bad time for us. Um, a bad time in us because companies made a knee-jerk reaction and said, okay, we need to start slicing in places and um, L&D is the nice to have, need to have situation, off it goes. Whilst ironically, we're, we should have actually stayed. We should have um, been the one area that they've gone, oh my God, we need somebody to steer us through this. And mm. L&D provisions, more efficient ways of working, changes in working practices, et cetera, should have been at the heart of it. Mm. And and so we have to really make ourselves indispensable and we're not. Mm. And and I think that falls back to having a strong learning culture. And those statistics at the beginning do not surprise me. I'm Mm. actually almost surprised they are as high as 10 and 20%. Because when I talk with companies and when I talk with L&D people, it's so far removed as a concept um, it seems blue sky thinking, the idea that everybody inside a company should be held accountable for their learning, for their staff's learning, for, for developing, for delivering, and also for the L&D person or persons, depending on how big the organization is, mm. to be accountable for that bottom line. Instead of just saying, I've done my job, I've made 20 courses this year, mm. I've done my job, X number of people have gone through. That is not you doing your job. Mm. That is you just hitting certain factors us doing our job is making the company stronger Mm. is making the company more efficient is making it more profitable is increasing market share and making it more attractive to join yeah that's us doing our job Mm. you know and and that is a huge cultural shift for a lot of people in L&D and a lot of people outside of L&D to see that yeah, I think you know what that comes down to is the way that we perceive our value and the way that we choose to engage 
in the problem solving. So the old paradigm, which is to deliver training or to deliver, and I can't stand it, deliver learning as Mm. if. (laughs) Um, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You've delivered the learning. Mm. Um, You know, the people in the room, like this is going to get past our stakeholders. Well, you delivered the learning, so I don't have to do anything. Like, so, you know, Mm. all of that uh, bananas. Um, I say it's um, uh, it's like it's like the postman, like the like the the, the postman hasn't helped you pay the bill by f- putting mm-hmm. the, the the letter through the letterbox. Mm. You know, in the same way as if you don't understand the challenges that the people are actually facing in the context of their work, the mm. friction they experience in service of the way the work is done and the results that they gain, then it doesn't matter what you deliver. Mm-hmm. It really isn't like the postman. Like he's not mm-hmm. helping me pay those bills. He's just popping paper through my uh, through my yeah. door. Same way as with learning and development. You, you know, again, if I don't take response, if I don't seek to understand what it is you can't do, mm. then I can't be responsible for the outcome. I mm. can only be responsible for educating you on these broad themes. That's mm. why so much of LD is done in days. Because if mm. I don't understand the problem that you face, and let's face mm-hmm. it, if LD didn't exist, you'd turn around to a colleague or they'd work with you and then they'd sort you'd sort it out in a few minutes. Yeah. LD don't seek to understand the problem. So we deliver days of stuff. And then we also fill LXPs or LMSs full of thousands mm-hmm. of pieces of content because yeah. we because it's all on the premise that if we've got enough stuff in there, there must be something for everybody. There mm-hmm. just must be. And the mm. only thing that we lack is any kind of rigorous analysis to say, to say that we know that there's something in there. Mm-hmm. What it comes down to is so little of what the friction that people experience in organizations is technical. It's cultural. Even when it comes down to something like Excel, people don't need to be educated on Excel. They need mm-hmm. to know the pivot table in mm-hmm. sales and the way that those people use it. So it's technical bumping up against culture all the time. So it doesn't, as I always say, it doesn't matter what content uh, you've got integrated. It doesn't matter how big your curriculum is. It's Mm. largely making no impact because it doesn't actually speak to what it is that people can't do in Mm -hmm. service of the way the work is done and the results that they gain. So again, it's where learning culture, you know, don't Mm. don't try to to force people towards your provision because your provision is not your culture. Mm-hmm. Your provision is your provision and you've been neglecting your culture thinking it was something else. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's so many things to unpack there because first of all, is I hate measuring uh, training hours allocation in days. Mm. I think it is archaic um, because it should be measured in hours and it should be a advised amount. Mm. So it isn't we cap you because why would you cap somebody at being the best they can be? That's just mm. ridiculous. Um but it should be in hours because we access things all the time. Mm. But gone are the days we'd walk down a corridor and sit there for a day or half a day. And that's how we measure things. So it shouldn't be in days to begin with. The thousands of hours of content drives me nuts because yeah. as a person who is very proactive in their own like development, that's a navigational nightmare. And the mm. answer is less is more. And it's, it's not so I can sleep at night thinking, I've surely hit all the bases. I'm surely got a, a, an answer for everybody there. No, all you've done is confuse people and, and you're not actually providing what your company needs. You're, you're buying a catalog or you're creating a catalog based on what you think. And what that really boils down to as well is, um, and I ask this in most webinars or in the olden day face-to-face conferences mm-hmm. that I go to is how many of you actually read your five-year strategy for your company? Mm. And barely anyone puts their hands up. So how are you meant to know what your company needs? Yeah, It's not just Vodafone, Nokia, uh, Coca-Cola, Microsoft. They have these trainings. Good for them. Mm. You know, what do you need for your company? 
What exactly do you need for your company? Where does your company want to be? And then you've got to make it so it's uh, easy to navigate, but also sort of mobile. It Mm. shouldn't be you do this, then this, then this, then this. Well, that's pointless because everybody comes in at different needs and at different times. We're not at school. We're not all learning in the same vein. We don't all have the same levels. They should be able to come in at different times, pick up, put down constantly, like Mm. a pick and mix from Woolworths in the olden days that's what we should i know yeah. I'm, I'm become very nostalgic during this pandemic um, <laughs> but that's what we need when it comes to learning yeah. if you've laid it out perfectly everybody knows you go to a chocolate box and mm. everything's laid out perfectly i can guarantee you there are going to be several chocolates in there you don't like yeah. and several of them you'll try a little bit of and spit out don't do it just mm. don't do it have a system that works for the people and they can pick up, put down and personalize the learning. They're going to be more engaged with that learning and they're not going to waste their time doing learning they already know or learning they do not need. Mm. Because those days of hours we've spent as a company, 27 million hours this year inside learning. Well, what did you get at the end of it? Mm. It's the vanity metric. Yeah. So we have to stop focusing on those. Pick up that five-year plan, which is probably currently a 12-month plan, and work out what the company needs and talk in their language yeah you know the what, what you described there as the the vanity metrics you're absolutely right and it positions l and d as a perk and not as mm-hmm. an enabler so mm-hmm. if you're so with a figure that says that um our organization uh, uh devoted a hundred thousand hours or a thousand or a hundred thousand days towards learning last year which equates to a hundred hours per employee that's mm-hmm. not a figure that you that you share in your um, uh, your financial statements, your stakeholders, that's a figure that you'll put on your employee value proposition mm-hmm. to employers. So you so people are having a look and going, oh, that looks like a good place to work, which is part of the con because it, of course, yeah. like attendance doesn't equate to to uh, to development, it's but it's not in the financial statement because mm-hmm. it is just a perk. It's like that mm-hmm. that would be the equivalent of saying we got we do gym memberships. It's like you you, you don't tell the stakeholders because yeah. you know because it because it doesn't actually affect the bottom line but um you know go, going back to your point that uh, that if we if we did spend just that little bit more time on the analysis to find out what was exactly the problem we wouldn't be spending as much mm-hmm. time in design or procurement or delivery we'd be focusing mm-hmm. on solving the real problems you know but i, I have these conversations with uh, with uh, lnd leaders and their teams um pretty often it's usually the teams that come back with the reasons why why they can't so um Going back to learning cultures, I've seen the term learning cultures and learning organization uh, used as a boulder for them to put in the middle of their road so they don't actually progress. You know, and the way that manifests is you'll be, you know, I'll be describing being data driven, evidence based, uh, working with and for the client rather than um, uh, delivering to that client and being accountable then or jointly accountable because you're working with them for the improvement. I get it all the time. It comes back to, yeah, but we need to develop a learning culture to be there and go, oh, boom, there it is. The boulders land in the middle of the road. There's no way around it. So you have to continue to mm. do exactly what you're doing now. You're tight, you know, you're you've tied a straitjacket on yourself. This is what this is what you want to do. And now you've you've handed over the responsibility for you to modernize and achieve greater uh, results to some other actor who is perhaps not not actually defined i don't know is, mm. that, is that something you experience yeah it, it feels i always find that uh first of all people always look for accountability and creation of a learning culture to sit inside one person mm. it can't it, it's an organic thing that sits inside everybody and i mean 
everybody with inside the company all the way down to the janitor mm. and and if the bold is there well you're gonna have to deal with it and a lot of people will just happily move with the status quo well we never needed a learning culture before and we're still here yeah but if you look at companies like for example Woolworths and my pick and mix Woolworths was around for 99 years before it went bankrupt mm. Debenhams has been around for a hell of a long time before it went bankrupt and how long we've been here is not a measure of success mm. it's a measure of survival they are two very different things you know a company has survived this long it doesn't make it successful Topshop has gone under the biggest shop on Oxford Street is gone mm. one of the biggest companies we've ever seen is gone and and you sit there and you think okay how long did it survive for because clearly it wasn't successful because it would still be here. And it's about constant adaptation. So you can't go, well, we said we were fine beforehand. Yeah, well, great, that was a different time. You know, we survived. But if you wanna grow, if you wanna measure, if you wanna adapt, if you wanna evolve, you have to keep going. And one of the, the greatest quotes that I've been using throughout this pandemic was written, I think, in something crazy like 1867. And it's Charles Darwin, and he talks about the importance of evolution for survival. Mm. You know, survival of the fittest is not I can run the fastest. It's I can adapt the quickest. Mm. And and you can have that rock there in the middle of your path and you can choose to do one or two things with it. But if you choose to ignore it and think you can carry on plowing on regardless, then you're only going to plow on for so long before it runs out. Mm. Because if you if you think, for example, take for uh, example, Debenhams um, or Woolworths or any of the big companies that recently went under, it wasn't, you could argue whether well, high streets changed, but it's been online for years. Like you could come up with blaming Amazon for everything, but look at Amazon as a company, constantly evolving, constantly adapting. And that's because the management is developing, training, learning, responding, and moving forward. And so you, you have to really think, okay, how do we collectively move that boulder? Because you can't do it by yourself. Mm. You've got to get everybody around you doing it. And one of the things that I talk about a lot when I talk about, I've be ended up accidentally becoming some kind of motivational speaker for L&D people <laughs> um, and telling them how to develop themselves because we're terrible at developing ourselves, yeah. brilliant at developing everybody else. The number one thing you have to teach yourself as an L&D person is nothing to do with L&D at all, nothing to do with learning design or anything like that. It's business skills mm. because you have to talk the language of your company yeah. to get people to help you move that boulder, to help them see it, not as a, a thing that's in the way, but an enabler that will carve us out a new pathway. Mm. And, and that's a very big change in mindset for a hell of a lot of L&D people who do not come from a business background. I, I personally do all my qualifications of business apart from my doctorate. I have a very business orientated mindset. And, and that has helped me when delivering and talking to, to clients because mm. I'm going, okay, what is it you need? Well, we need a course on presentation skills. Why is that? Like that's really boiled down to the reasons why. So then everybody goes, I need that. Mm. And that changes things rather than, oh God, I've got to do a course on presentation skills, but I talk every day, so what's the problem? Mm. You know, that, that is a very different mindset and, and it's the only way to deal with stuff. And instead of having it as an elephant in the room, we have to start embracing it. But that's a mindset that has to start with us mm. because everything we do will generate out of us to get people on board. We have to be mm. excited about it. We have to think it's a good idea. Otherwise, how on earth do you talk everybody else into it to then tell everybody else it's a good idea? Yeah. 
And, and that takes a lot of negotiation, persuasion skills, conflict resolution skills, rapport building skills, presentation skills. These are all business skills. Mm. And L&D people, understandably, have been focusing on L&D based skills, you know, authoring courses and understanding mm. LMXs, LMSs, LPXs, every other Xs that we've got yeah. as platforms and, and understanding all those things, understandably, but missing the business skills. You know, if you were going to go into Dragon's Den and you were going to pitch your L&D department, would you even make it through? Mm. You know, and, and so you need those skills just to talk to people and get them on board. Otherwise, you're always going to get, oh, my boss would like that. Of course they would. Who wouldn't like a nice learning culture? Mm. But he says we're too busy. Well, he's going to be even busier on picking all the problems caused by not having a learning culture. Mm. So you have to understand how to talk back to them how to mitigate everything they're saying how to negotiate a better outcome and we can't do that unless we develop ourselves otherwise we're never going to be strong enough with that boulder mm. because otherwise we're, we're looking at the boulder ourselves and defeated before we've even started yeah well we put the boulder there uh, a lot of the time which is mm. which is you know us uh, us chasing um uh a, a goal that that we don't we don't really truly believe is possible but it isn't possible Absolutely. with the way that the way the way things mm-hmm. will be currently done focusing on driving um yeah. attention towards a provision rather mm. than actually solving the real problems and i had a, a, a podcast conversation uh which will come out in the uh, the coming weeks uh with an lnd leader um who started in operations now they you know moved from the operation into lnd and then became a student in lnd looking at it and going well that doesn't make sense oh that Mm -hmm. doesn't make sense but you know you sort of bow to it and go so there are there are all of these ceremonies and you know uh, and and accepted practices and approaches Mm -hmm. in lnd so that must be the way that it's done then they start hearing some dissenting voices many of whom have been on this podcast before they realize wait a minute Mm -hmm. no that lnd stuff that's getting in the way I'm going to stick, I'm going to keep my operational hat on yes. and we will then, then we will help the organization achieve what it's meant to do. And I always mm-hmm. come back to it that, that um, employees are the ones who have, will f- give you the least resistance. If you mm. are helping them with what they're trying to do, when they're facing unfamiliar situations and challenges, they jump on board. There's mm-hmm. so little resistance. Just don't take all the training courses away because it's seen mm-hmm. as a reward, right? So, so they're pleased. Then the stakeholders uh, people always say, oh, yeah, you know, but, but when they ask for courses, it's really hard to change their mind. And I always say, look, I've been in your shoes here. The vast majority, three quarters, at least of people, when they knock on your door, they want actual change. So mm. when you agree to do the course that they asked for, you're letting them down. So talk with them about the outcomes and what they want to see as a different. What, what, what compelled them to call you in the first place? And what do they need to, to, um, mm. uh, to be different? The hardest people to change their mind are L&D. They're instructional designers. They are trainers. They have identity wrapped up in, and I hate this phrase, watching people develop. And I know I said Mm -hmm. this many times in this podcast, you've never seen anyone develop. You've only seen people get concepts. And it's, it's a fleeting moment for them as it should be for you. They've understand or something you've said has resonated, but they haven't developed. They haven't developed unless until they've gone back to, mm-hmm. to where they were working and consistently over a period of time changed the way they've worked, which has got them the expected and the rewarded um, results. Yeah. That is it. But mm. there is so much mythology around the you know a traditional way L and D people some L and D people not all and I you know I've had many on this uh, on this podcast talk about there are hard moments the moments that they thought what I'm doing up here isn't working 
I need to figure out another way to connect with people who need my help and then actually help them with that. And that didn't require a learning culture. That required them to reevaluate their value within the organization and do something different, which, of course, is what you're talking about is an actual learning culture and mm. not seeking engagement with the, you know, um, in the provision and trying by hook or by crook to make that, provi- that fragile provision work mm. um, on its own. I don't know, again, Absolutely. does that, that resonate? Mm, I'm a very, very strong believer in practice-based learning. I spent 13 years at the Open University. Mm. And what a lot of people don't understand about the EU is a lot of it is actually face-to-face. They all see it as an online thing. And, and there's tutorials. And, and But they're teaching us everything you were taught. And I am an OU alum. I also... Um, I'm also tutoring at the OU as an associate lecturer in research methodology and ethics, which is probably one of the most sexiest subjects out there, I'm sure. But everything they learn, they have to put into practice and then show the evidence of their practice. So everything they're applying, it's not all theoretical. And and for me, I mean, for example, I have an accountant because I have my own company. I could read an accountancy book. It doesn't make me an accountant. Mm -hmm. And I know that about myself, which is why I have one. and that is that kind of learning that you have inside a inside a training classroom. You're being talked at. Mm. I, I, it doesn't mean anything. And I'm a great believer in practice-based learning and flipped classrooms for that reason. Mm. Because I could sit there all day and somebody could um, just uh, develop uh, a training about presentation skills and present at me. And I'll go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And off I go, happy sheet done, tick, they've been here, whatever. Doesn't make me a good presenter though, does it? Mm. And and that's the problem. And it, it's more about how we're going to take those skills, how we're going to iron them out. And I'm a great believer in flipped classrooms with practice-based learning. And that's when the aha moment comes mm. because they're learning before they come into the classroom, The how storyboarding works, how this works, how that works, and um, how to present, how to build rapport, how to design something effectively. And then they bring it in and practice. Yeah. And then you're going, okay, now we can see development. Okay, now we need to work out when you're going to do it inside your workplace. Okay, now we need to work out next steps. Yeah. Nobody comes in and come and walks out cured. It doesn't work that way. No. And we need to understand that we are not that person. We, we, no matter how good you get, you can't fix people in three hours and make them into gurus. Yeah. And it is the time and and the practice that actually changes people. My aha moment comes whenever I'm working with a company and I get to see their data that they record as a business, mm. not my data. And they go, yes, call center times were halved because we're able to get to the point quicker and resolve things better because they had better training. They knew how to talk to clients. They knew how to escalate the problem. They knew what to answer in the right situations or um, negotiation times to contract gestation periods have halved because they now know how to negotiate more effectively. That's the aha moment. The moment where it impacts the bottom line and the bosses and the powers that be that writes the stakeholders and the shareholders and say, we've had an increase in this. Even if it's a company that is a um, charity, for example, you can have efficiencies there without talking about a bottom line. The bottom line is whatever you measure that company to be to become successful. Mm. So if that efficiency is more fundraising 
or uh, more efficient uh, turnaround times to uh, fundraising packs or um, better events that get together more people mm-hmm. or use of social media more effectively to or reach service, the masses. Yeah, service level agreements for non-customer facing uh, areas. Exactly. Mm. Whatever is the thing that you measure is your bottom line. It doesn't have to be directly correlated to mm. profits. It's just that most of us work in that industry. That's your aha moment. Yeah. The moment where you can see that it directly has changed the outcome of the company but you can't see that in a classroom in three hours of your time and Mm. you won't see it then you'll see it when they take all the learnings and understandings of what you've done and hone that craft and work with other people they then help those people they then learn from other people as well and go oh such and such talks to their customers in this way how interesting let me do a hybrid and see what happens Mm evolution in learning and also the learning culture in well i can show you what i did here or have you noticed dot 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 and going oh that is a really good ted talk i should tell my team about Mm. it you know that is evolution of learning culture to go i feel comfortable enough to say everybody look at this this changed my life yeah i don't get to see that but that is fine by me you know, I'm not a messiah. I'm not asking for some kind of glowing thing. I'm asking for a company to continue being successful. Mm. That's so, the aha. So one of the things that uh, that, that uh, always bothers me about learning cultures is uh, how how you take that to a leader, say, uh, you know, CEO, the president, the the, uh, the MD, and say we want to change. Uh, we you know we want to develop a learning culture. You know, I, mm-hmm. I told you in a in conversation previously mm-hmm. that that would have wouldn't have flown in any organization that yep. I've worked in. And just to be slightly facetious here, <laughs> yeah, so so if L and D have got a platform mm-hmm. that very mm-hmm. few people use, unless mm-hmm. it's for mandatory training, we measure our success by attendance and satisfaction, and mm-hmm. we can't attribute investment to results mm-hmm. how do we convince any leader to change mm-hmm. the culture or do we not tell them that we're trying mm-hmm. to develop a learning culture and that is an aim that we have within our function and it means this for us what what do you suggest 100 don't tell them the reason is now i'm not trying to be sneaky or do some kind of ninja stealth stuff it's not important to them no they're not losing sleep over that so you, you take the five-year plan, the 12-year plan, the three-year plan, the, the market expansion strategy. You talk to business people with inside your company before you go see the top dog. And, and you say, okay, what do you need? What, what are your problems? Where are the pain points, et cetera? You map how you can help fix that. Mm. That's what you go with. I would like to talk to you about a strategy to help you reach what you have inside your five-year plan, 12-year plan, three-year plan, expansion, market share plan, whatever is the plan that they're currently working on, you go to them and go, I would like to help you do this. Mm. And this is how I foresee it happening. Never talk about learning cultures. Yeah. Because it seems too wishy-washy and fluffy. And yep. they're going, oh, God, she's on about L&D again. I just need to hit this target. That's right. Let me help you do it. That is my job. Mm. And and that's what, and they're going to go, okay, I actually feel slightly more relieved that we should have a plan because yes, I've got to get a 10% market growth in all these countries, but how the hell are we going to do that unless we become really aggressive or we start slashing prices or we do this and that? No, let me help you in increasing negotiation strategies with your teams because I've spoken directly to your teams and they're saying, yes, we do actually understand the products. We just don't know how to sell them. Mm. Yes, we do understand um, how to sell them, but we can't seem to be able to close the deal to get to the contract. Yes, we do love talking to customers online or um, in chatbots or um, on the phone, 
but we don't know how to bring it through to a fruition in which they're happy that they can put down the phone and they've got their answer solved. These are the pain points within the company. That is what you're talking to your boss about. And then the learning is a byproduct. It is the bonus and it is the vehicle to get you there. Mm. In 12 months time, when it's all really successful, you go, my goodness, what a learning culture we have developed here. Mm. And that's when you can talk about it. But whilst you're building it, don't mention it yeah. because it, is, it will put people off. They mm. go, oh God, we've got to do fluffy culture. We can't measure that. No, my job is to get you to be successful, not just mm. to survive. And, and that really boils down to the fact of, I've always said it, good L&D can make a company and bad L&D can break a company. Mm. And I 100% believe that. And you can see that in the companies that have broken in the past five years. Their, their systems, the way they look at everything is out of date. Mm. Our job is to make everything cutting edge. Yeah. You know? and, and that's how you change your mindset, by delivering the result, by the CEO going, oh, my God, you know, we, we did it. Yeah. We halved it. We we got the promotions. We got the market shares. We got the bottom line. This is the key. And let them discover it, bunny ears, by themselves. You know, that this is the, the magic pill. Yeah. You know, let them have the epiphany. Let them tell you the epiphany that you already know. And then you look amazed at it. And that's when you have the learning culture. Because mm. they've bought it. And they didn't even know that they were doing it. Brilliant. Um, yeah, I couldn't couldn't agree more um, with that, Hannah. Um, as we look to uh, to wrap up, based on your experience and as um, this, because I mean, I can't I can't imagine a single listener is going to be walking along going, no, no, that's not what we would <laughs> we'd want to do. You know, they're going to be far more people saying, yeah, we need to do that. Now, in your mm. experience, as this hits organisations, mm. what what um, advice would you give, or what pitfalls would you say to avoid mm. in beginning the journey on the, on developing a learning yeah. culture, as you've described. The first journey, the first step of any part of gaining a learning culture is to look inwardly at yourself. Yeah. Because you can't be a trailblazer if you're at the back of the queue. Mm. So if you know that you've got to go up to some big bosses and sell them a concept, if your presentation skills are off, if your negotiation skills are off, if your business planning skills are off, if you don't understand the five-year strategy of the company, you have to develop yourself first. Mm. Otherwise... Everything else will never happen. It won't even happen badly. It would just never get off the ground. So number one, look at yourself. What do you need to be, you know, winning in Dragon's Den? Mm. And, and that's really what you've got to do first and foremost. You then, with this armed knowledge of rapport building skills and understanding all these business situations, you go to the bosses midway. You go to the operational managers, the team leaders. You go, what are your problems? What are your mm. pain points? What are the sticking issues? I understand from the five-year plan, the powers that be want us to hit double-digit growth, want us to be 10% more efficient. Like, what, it, what is holding us back from having this? Because clearly it's a goal. Otherwise, we would already have it by now. So what's the problem? Find out the problems, the real problems that are not in the five-year plan that never get published to the shareholders. Mm. Have that arsenal. And then go, okay, how can I help? And you are helping them. You're alleviating the problems. You're not talking about training and development. You're not going to sell them a product. Go on any infomercial, you sell a lifestyle, never a product. Yep. You buy into the lifestyle. The product is the thing you need to get the lifestyle. Mm. And that's how I spend a lot of time watching infomercials for this reason. Um, I love them as a sales technique. Mm. But you, you, you talk to them about that. So you do that. Once you've got that information, you sit down with that five-year plan and you map it to the nth degree. And then you go up to the big bosses. Mm. You cannot go there straight away. 
you cannot have the answers because they're going to come at you with answers, excuses, what their understanding is, what they want to be. And you have to have the information inside you to go, yes, but I understand from the sales team that this is a problem. And I understand from the operations team that we have this problem in this factory. And I understand from the call center team that this is a regular occurrence. Do your homework because they haven't got the time to be in all those places they're not omnipresent and then you go i'm just trying to help you solve a problem i'm not here to sell you anything i'm here to solve a problem with mm. you and and you've got to come at it in a different stance um and for me that's massively important um i write about it often in my uh blog which is on uh dr mm. and and i always give step by steps as to what to do um and that is actually in one of them a five-step guide is what to do to how to have that conversation um, because I think that's really important. I'd rather talk about developing L&D people than L&D as a whole, because mm. I think enough people are talking about courses and bits of content, and I'm talking about how do we change the people within it. Yeah, brilliant. That's great. So we'll put um, a link to, uh, to your blog in the show notes. Uh, and mm-hmm. if people wish to, to um, connect with you, uh, mm. Hannah, how, how best can they do so? Oh, it's very easy to socially stalk me. Um, seriously, I mean, I must be one of the easiest people to find in Google. You just stick Hannah, uh, Hannah Gore in and I flash up in lots of places. Mm-hmm. LinkedIn is probably the easiest place to find me. Do send me a message. I reply to every single one of them. Um, Twitter and, and also through my website, uh, drhannahgore.com. There's also a web form there, but absolutely, please reach out to me. Have a conversation. Even if you just need a soundboard, I'm happy to help you. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Hannah. And thank you for being a guest on the Learning and Development podcast. Thank you. So with a clear distinction between a learning culture and the learning provision, it's clear that before developing a learning culture, it's essential to switch the conversation from learning to performance and results and to be impacting meaningful organisational metrics and not to delay progress by thinking we have to change the culture first. If you'd like to get in touch with me, perhaps to suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed, you can tweet me at David in Learning and connect on LinkedIn, for which you'll find the links in the show notes. And goodbye for now. Mm-hmm.